All right, talk about the diaphragm. What is true regarding boctalic hernias? y'all got that one right that one wasn't too hard all right so some anatomy um, again just things that necessarily aren't super important to be tested on but just to review uh, the central tendon you've got the peripheral muscle and then the extent of the excursion with the various uh, hiatuses to know aortic esophageal IVC and what goes through all those just from the undersurface the central tendon and then the peripheral muscle important nerves phrenic nerves obviously and their roots c345 and their general course um, and the important thing to know i think about the phrenic nerves is they run under the on the undersurface of the diaphragm Arterial supply to the diaphragm and get the phrenic arteries and some branches off the celiac and similar venous drainage as you'd expect. All right, so for this lecture, we're talking about hernias and then um, traumatic hernias as well, and then a little bit about plication and paralysis and eventration. So the three congenital hernias uh, we talked about a little bit already with the congenital. Boctalic, morgagni, and esophageal, and then acquired hernias. So, yeah, typically we're going to see the morgagni, it's anterior. It's actually this foramen of morgagni where the um, IM vessels run into the epigastrics. So it's actually a, it's a known space, but it, it can uh, enlarge in adults and become a hernia. And then the posterior, posterolateral boctalic hernia, it's more a congenital younger children, but you can find in adults. I found it in an 80-year-old lady the other day, traumatic lacerations, and then obviously esophageal hernias, which will be in a later lecture more about that, hiatal hernias. So boctalic hernias, um, posterior, posterolateral, not super common, but one in 4,000. Uh, most don't have a hernia sac, but free communication between the Abdominal and chest cavities, slightly higher female ratio. Most are going to be on the left and usually not related to a congenital heart defect, but I said some of these to know here. Uh, chest x-ray, obviously see things don't look right in that side of the chest. NG tube is going to be not where it's supposed to be up in the chest. Decreased breath sounds, bowel sounds, and it's, it's an emergency. It needs to be attended to you know, right away on, on top of whatever congenital heart defect may be going on. The pathophysiology is just sort of a, you know, just kind of feeds into one another. You get poor ventilation from hypoplasia, poor gas exchange, and that leads to pulmonary hypertension. And obviously fetal circulation doesn't support that very well, particularly if you've got a congenital defect. And again, there's sort of risk assessment into three groups. Um, you know, depending on their presentation and how likely they are to survive. Operative repair, again, obviously de depends on what side it's going to be on. Uh, right side, 
thoracotomy generally left side for the you know probably abdominal closure lower subcostal incision to reduce the abdominal contents closure is often direct suture repair don't typically need a, a mesh or anything for these little babies chest tube obviously and then post-operative goals of care for weaning them and getting them successfully liberated from a ventilator hopefully ECMO criteria in terms of liberating them exclusion criteria you can read about results are pretty good um, can be done on ECMO or shortly after decannulation and most of these these kids are going to survive particularly in uh, high volume referral centers um, you can see a residual defect in about one and third two-thirds patients and we do see them in adults they do they do pop up in their 40s 50s sometimes they've had repairs before small chance of bowel obstruction and but yeah there is always a chance like any hernia that it can come back and we do repair these in adults uh, more gagney hernias um, this is more of the adult anterior hernia um, we see these every now and then often found incidentally uh, they get this is associated with a hernia sac so that's different from the boctelec hernia um, usually on the right side can be behind um, or in the pericardium but usually anteriorly usually doesn't cause symptoms and again it's usually an adult presentation in terms of for test questions um, they may get some substernal pressure or pain um, if they've got some kind of incarcerated viscera or fat um, maybe causing more more symptoms um, if you've got said viscera in there bowel obstruction hematemesis again they may probably you're going to find it on a ct scan if anything if it's not if it's more subtle um, doesn't usually cause obstruction repair do a small upper midline or thoracoscopic repair i've done that that way too tumors of the diaphragm um, I've seen one question on this, not very common. Primary tumors are pretty rare, more likely than not gonna be a benign lesion. Uh, but if you're gonna see it, you know, a metastatic lesion, it's gonna be you know, coming from the surrounding tissue. Uh, equal predominance, male, females for primary tumors. Again, these are not very common, so they're not very easy to diagnose and the, the symptoms are rel relatively nonspecific. Um, again, often an incidental finding on imaging. Primary tumors, most of them are going to be benign, often cystic lesions. Um, of the malignant ones, sarcomas are going to be the most common, and then metastatic lesion. Well, we're still on primary, sorry. Treatment is surgical with excision and closure. If it's a large defect, you may need mesh repair. And if there's some sort of inflammatory condition causing this, um, treat that obviously underlying. Uh, so traumatic injuries, um, for those of you who've done trauma, you know, you, in that box and being in the thoracoabdominal region, being very attuned to the potential for uh, uh, diaphragmatic injury, you know, sort of in the, around the costophrenic angles and so the uh, costal cartilage and fourth and fifth interspaces. Blunt trauma certainly happens, and always have a high, um, high degree of suspicion so that you don't miss the injury. Blunt injuries typically produce a laceration, usually on the left side, and then you can get involvement of the organs, surrounding organs, stomach most commonly, spleen, colon, small bowel, and liver to a lesser degree. 
Obviously, if you've got a bunch of viscera in the chest, you're going to get respiratory insufficiency and crowding, um, but it can cause a more chronic issue if you miss it and end up with, an, with a bowel obstruction. So obviously, chest x-ray is pretty much what everyone gets through it, coming through the door, but they usually get scanned too, and, but scans can miss it. I saw one last year where they missed it about a week later, and it manifested as a large perforation that I ended up fixing. But yeah, if you see a complete lack of visualization of the left hemidiaphragm, you know, on imaging, uh, good chance that there's an injury there. You can do swallow studies if you're concerned about potential obstruction, but nonetheless the diagnosis can still be elusive and requires a high degree of clinical suspicion. Associated injuries, um, again, just these things don't come in isolation, and and that's, I think, just kind of the takeaway point here from this, this slide. Most of them are, again, going to be abdominal, related injuries if you have an associated diaphragmatic injury. Uh, blunt rupture, certainly, again, um, excessive thoracoscopically, the left more common, often can be repaired primarily. Very rarely do you need a patch unless you've got a large sort of loss of domain or it's been pulled away or, and obviously address any sort of incarcerated or torsed uh, viscera. Thoracoscot or sort of thoracotomy view here, herniation of the liver looks like, and primary suture repair. So again, patch if you need it. Chronic injuries, like I said, this can be missed. It does happen. Again, the the, the tear may not. It may start out small and then get bigger later, and they may not even have symptoms until much later, until they develop a, something like a bowel obstruction. Again, treat it like you would any bowel obstruction, repair the hernia, repair the defect. Uh, diaphragm, so we're talking a little bit here about paralysis. Diaphragmatic pacing, probably won't get questioned about this, but um, certainly I think diaphragm paralysis or even tration comes up every now and then. Um, pacing, generally um, for chronic insufficiency, ventilatory insufficiency, but you've got, you have to have normal functioning nerves lung and diaphragm here. Uh, patients with muscular dystrophy, any sort of neuromuscular disorder, are generally the ones that are going to be candidates for diaphragmatic pacing. Although there is some, there you can argue there is some role for plication as well. So again, probably not going to be tested about pacing. That's a very selective procedure. Very few people do that around the country. Plication, so indications for that. Um, you, causing some sort of phrenic nerve paralysis, uh, potentially atrogenic injury, spinal cord disease, phrenic nerve infiltration, you know, do the diaphragm plication, um, you know, you're imbricating using patches, pledgets. Here's a thoracotomy, hope nobody's doing that. Thoracoscopic's the way to go if you can, or laparoscopic depending on your concern about visceral injury. Anyway, so last question here, what is true regarding primary tumors of the diaphragm? See, so yeah, no gender predilection. So that goes back to basically that first slide on the primary tumors. All right. Thanks, everybody.